Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. It is a wacky Wednesday in Richmond, Virginia, February 21st, just after 2 p.m. And joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, we welcome in the voice of the James Madison Dukes, Dave Rigert. What's going on, Dave? Hey, Adam, how are you? Just sitting in the hotel in Huntington, West Virginia, getting ready for the Dukes and the Herd coming up tonight. I love that, man. We're looking forward to it. Stubb, why don't you explain to the audience what you were telling me during the break about James Madison this season? Oh, yeah. I, I had a friend bring up that of between the football and basketball team for JMU this year, they have more losses to Appalachian State than every other team combined. <laughs> I mean, that's just so wild, Dave. <laughs> uh, it is unbelievable, no doubt. You know, I was talking with... Uh, Danny Reed, who does the Georgia Southern play-by-play, and Jamie played Georgia Southern on Saturday in, in Harrisonburg, and, you know, he's just like, man, it's kind of been a tough year because they're struggling in, in, uh, in basketball. He goes, I've called five wins since the crossover of football and basketball began because their football team struggled to end the season. They've only won five basketball games. And I was thinking, I'm just like, well, I've called five losses since that began with basketball and football, with the two football losses towards <laughs> the end of the season, including the bowl game, and then just three basketball losses. But you guys are right. Three of the five losses are to Appalachian State. So um, they've got bragging rights right now. Hopefully the Dukes have another chance to, to meet the Mountaineers later on this season. Yeah, and it feels like a three-horse race at the top of the Sun Belt Conference. App State is 12-2. and JMU 11-3. and Troy 11-3. and As the Dukes have won six straight, what's the biggest thing you've noticed during this win streak? Uh, I talked a little bit about it last week, too, and defense has been really good for this team. Um, it, was, it wasn't it was on Saturday against Georgia Southern, but they, they've kind of found themselves again. And Coach, he, he kind of joked earlier that we never really lost ourselves, but they lost three um, out of a seven-game stretch, a couple to Appalachian State. And in those games, I think the common denominator was they didn't share the basketball. They didn't pass the basketball as much as they have and didn't play as good a defense as, as they are right now. They've kind of found themselves on that side of the basketball. They've got to line up. And guys like Raekwon Horton, Bryant Randleman, um, Xavier Brown, really good defenders on the basketball and on the perimeter that are doing a great job. And they're using some, some lineups at times that are really defensive-oriented. They're not worried about scoring. They feel like they've got enough guys that can score the basketball. But they've got guys in there that can kind of shut the other team down, and they've done a good job of that here the last really six games, um, ever since that app game on the road, even though they didn't, they, they didn't play bad, um, didn't defend probably like they wanted to. Um, but they've really defended well here lately. They're sharing the basketball. Um, this is a very unselfish team, averaging almost 17 assists per basketball game. When they do that, when they get 15 or more assists, they're almost unstoppable. When, when they've lost games, they've had 9, 10, 11 assists per game, and they've got to share the basketball and not play one-on-one, not play hero ball. And, uh, again, that's probably their, their, their recipe for success and has been really all year. And, Jam, you coming off the win against Georgia Southern, 87-80. to 80. The big thing that stands out to me in the box score was you have 34 points from the bench unit. Has that kind of been a theme of this season, the bench scoring? It has. They've got about a nine-man rotation right now, and it's different guys stepping up. Raekwon Horton, you asked last week kind of about who's – who's been kind of an unsung hero. And I brought up um, Noah Friedel, but I think another guy is Raekwon Horton. He can do so much for this team. He defends at a high level. Uh, he played at college, the College of Charleston last year, and they won over 30 games. So he's a, he's a winner. Um, he was on that team that, that uh, made the NCAA tournament and is a guy that can go get you 10 points on any given night, but then he can go get you nine rebounds on any given night. He'll get you five steals. Um, he's a guy that is really – 
uh, kind of stepped up into a role that they didn't have in the past, uh, kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades that can kind of go shut down the the opposition. And he plays starter minutes. He's getting over 20, oh, about 22 minutes per game uh, coming off the bench. But they've got a, got a lot of guys like that. Um, they're bringing Mike Green off the bench. He was a starter to begin the year at the point guard spot. He's kind of found himself here recently and starting to play with a little bit more confidence. Um, so they've got Jalen Carey, a freshman, coming off the bench, who um, Coach Bynkin has called him the future of this program. His brother, Vernon Carey, was the young man that went to Duke and has, has been in the NBA a little bit with the Wizards and now is overseas yeah. playing basketball. But um, he's a kid, a kid that's going to be really, really good. He's shown flashes at times this year. He scored in double figures each of his last two games and at least eight points in four straight games. So the bench has been very productive. They got a nine man rotation. They all know their roles and, and they're they're playing those roles really, really well right now. Dave Rigert, voice of the James Madison Dukes on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. So set the scene for tonight. Jam you at Marshall. Uh Dukes have won six straight. Marshall has lost three straight. Marshall's a team that's very dangerous and, and Coach Byington has said they may be the most challenging team to defend. Dan D'Antoni is their coach. And for folks that obviously know the D'Antoni family, um, his brother was a head coach in the NBA for a long time. Dan was with him for a long time in the NBA. They're both Marshall graduates, so they love the herd. And he's come back, and his style is going to be frantic. It's going to be up and down. They're going to jack shots from about everywhere. Yeah. Um, they set about 30 different types of ball screens. So this is a team that's really on the move at all times. So they're really a challenge. And in their building, they're much different. In Sunbelt games, they're 7-7 seven and seven overall. They're five and two at home and two and five on the road. So they're a better team, and most teams are. They're, they're better in their building than they are on the road. And again, I think you can go up and down the Sun Belt and talk about that or any conference. Um, but this is a team that's just much better in their building. Um, they've got some talented guys. They've got a kid in um, Camden Kerfman who transferred from BMI. He's in his second year. He had 23 against the Dukes back in, in January, was about the only guy that really went off. But Kevon Boyle's a graduate transfer from Maryland Eastern Shore. Um, Obina Anachilli Killen is a guy that leads them in scoring at about 15 points per game. They did a tremendous job the first time the two teams played. They held Marshall 52 points. That's the lowest point total they've had the entire season. They average over almost 75 points per game. And this is a team because of so many possessions with how they play and shooting threes and wanting to run at all times. They don't. Again, they don't really care about defense. Last year when, when the, the two teams played in the Atlantic Union Bank Center, it was a 92-83 game. So uh, you could expect maybe something like that again with what they do. So JMU's going to have to score a little bit more probably than they did the first time against them. Um, but this is a team that's very – it's a challenge. They've got five guys having double figures, and they want to run and gun, and this will be an entertaining game tonight. Big game for the Dukes as they try to increase the win streak to seven games and possibly be Sunbelt regular season champions. App State still has two games against the Monarchs. They go to you can do jam you a favor? <laughs> well, they need to. They're struggling right now. Oh, but, yeah. uh, you know, m most JMU fans are not ODU fans, but I think we'll, we'll pull for the Monarchs when they take on Appalachian State because, again, with, with them sweeping the season series, they've got the tiebreaker, obviously. So even though JMU's a game back of App State, really they're two games back because they don't have the tiebreaker. So with four games left, it'll be a challenge to probably catch them, but maybe they can finish in a tie and then see what happens in uh, Pensacola down at the Sunbelt Tournament. You know, Terrence Edwards Jr. has really turned it up as of late, 19 in the last win, 28 in the game before that. And what's been impressive to me is his ability to get to the free throw line and then convert when he gets there. He's a guy shooting 85% now in league games from the free throw line, and he was 12 for 12 
in the basketball game against Georgia State. Got there against Georgia Southern quite a bit as well. But you're right. He's starting to kind of – he's a guy that, that – he's a redshirt junior. He's in his fourth year, and he's, he's playing his last year at JMU. Um, he'll probably go elsewhere, I would imagine, and, and, and go – and probably probably make some NIL money and do that. Um, but they've already they, – they honored him on senior day on, on Friday – so, or on Saturday it was when they played Georgia Southern. So he's a guy that with seven guys on this roster that are being honored and playing their last season at JMU, you can kind of get the sense that, okay, this is our last go-around. Um, they've they kind of got that, that that senior take is, is where, all right, this is I, my last game's coming up in about a month or so. I've got to get figure this out. And that's kind of what they've done. He and TJ Bickerstaff, the two Atlanta natives, and they'll play in Atlanta later on this, uh, this season. They'll play next week down against Georgia State. But those two guys have really stepped up. Um, TJ's had at least 14 points in three straight games. Terrence, as you mentioned, has been red hot with the 28-19 his last two games. But um, they're getting to the foul line the last two games and, and converting. They were struggling at times shooting free throws. Been much better the last two two, um, two games. And Terrence Edwards, again, he was a 47% free throw shooter as a, as a freshman. Now he's 85% in Sunbelt games, 82% overall. So he's putting the work in the gym. A lot of these guys have, and that's why they're having the season what they're having right now. Dave Rigert is the radio voice of the James Madison Dukes football and basketball. Follow him on social media at Dave Rigert. Before we let you go, can you kind of just, we talked about it earlier, can you kind of just explain to the audience how crazy this calendar year has been for JMU Athletics? <laughs> uh, we could do a whole show on it, I think, and I think I have, but it's been unbelievable so far. And actually, swimming and diving just won the Sunbelt Championship last week. And as good as this, this school year has been, that's actually the first Sunbelt Championship this year for JMU was the Swimming and Diving Championship this past week. But women's and men's soccer were both in the top 25. Uh, men's soccer got to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. The volleyball team didn't win the Sunbelt. They finished second, but they made the Sunbelt Championship and got an at-large bid, which is hard to do in, in women's volleyball at the mid-major level. They got an at-large bid. Um, women's soccer got an at-large bid, so both soccer teams made the NCAA tournament. Um, volleyball made the NCAA tournament. Obviously, football did what they did getting their first bowl game in school history. And, again, winning the East of the Sun Belt, if they could have won the East, they finished with the best record in the East for a second consecutive season. And then the two basketball teams, JMU women, are the defending Sun Belt champs. They're in third place right now, but they're playing still pretty well, and they've got a chance to, to finish in the top two or three um, and try and get as high a seat as they can. And then the, the men, obviously, 24-3. and three. If they win tonight, they can set a school record for most wins in the history of JMU basketball in any one season. The 81-82 team um, won, 80, won 24 games that year. They lost to Michael Jordan and James Worthy and those guys at North Carolina in the second round of the NCAA tournament. But if they win tonight, 25 would be the most wins in any season in James Madison basketball. So it's been an incredible year. Uh, baseball just off, knocked off number three Arkansas last week. Obviously, basketball beat number four Michigan State early in the season. So it's been a pretty incredible year for JMU athletics. Always appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks, Adam. Take care, man. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, we sit down with the czar, Gary Hess, to, to drive around Richmond Highway next on The Fan. Welcome back to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, phone lines are always open, 833-804-0910. That's 833-804-0910. It's Wednesday at 2.15 which means it's time to welcome in the czar, Gary Hess. What is happening, man? We are creeping towards March. 
Getting ready for the madness. Yeah, absolutely. I already uh, booked my trip to Brooklyn. I'll be at Black Forest, Brooklyn, three straight days, three live shows from 12 to 3. It's going to be a awesome. ton of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. It, there's nothing. I love a lot of sporting events, a ton of it, but there's nothing like March Madness. Yes. And so that's the fun thing about doing my show at that time is a lot of times it's a pregame for VCU. So it's like an extended pregame show. And last year... On Thursday, the bar really started to fill up. And then Friday, there's no game. Everybody was just kind of hanging out, drinking. It was a great time there in Brooklyn for the Atlantic 10 Conference Tournament. So let's get in the car and drive. How are the roads looking? Get out of the way, damn it! Time for a drive down Richmond Highway with Gary Hess, sports director and the voice of high school football in Richmond, Virginia. Let's drive down Richmond Highway with Gary Hess on AWOD Radio. All right, Gary, so last night in college basketball, you had a stunner. UConn goes down to Creighton. Was it really a stunner? (laughs) Was it really? I mean, you know, if you follow college hoops, you could see that coming a mile away. Let's, let's, Let's line up the stars here. This is the greatest college, but, you know, UConn, they're going to repeat. It's a done deal. Why even have March Madness? They're number one. And listen, UConn's a great team. They are great. Danny Hurley is a great coach. But if you just follow the conference wars, you can just see this kind of thing coming. They had the huge game with Marquette, the national stage. They destroyed them. They, you know, as Coach Chris says on our high school broadcast, sometimes they might have been smelling themselves a little bit. And they go to Creighton. Creighton's a really good team. That's a hostile environment on the road. It was a hornet's nest. You could just see it coming. It was totally what you see in many, many times in January and February in college basketball. UConn coach Dan Hurley said, it kind of felt like we just ran into a buzzsaw there. They beat Marquette by 28 points, and this was one day after voted the unanimous number one in the AP poll. And you know what's amazing is they may be number one again next week, even with the loss. That Houston might inch them out, but I still think Connecticut's the best team in the country. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, you, know, you, you know, nobody goes undefeated. 76 Indiana was the last time somebody went undefeated and won the national title. So, you know, that and that, you know, you just don't see that happening anymore. Gary is, of course, our ACC insider, and the conference standings in the Atlantic Coast Conference are as follows. Number 10, North Carolina's 12 and 3. They bounce back from a loss. Duke has won four in a row. They're now 11 and 3, half a game back of North Carolina. And Virginia at 11 and 5, a game and a half back coming off the loss to the Hokies. Woo, let me tell you. Um, first of all, Castle Coliseum is one of the toughest places to play. In the ACC, it really is. Men's and women's. Men's and women's, absolutely. Kenny Brooks, boy, I tell you what, he's got it going on down there with that <laughs> women's team. Um, you know, Virginia is is a team that, you know, kind of had some good things going on, but their margin for error is very, very slim. And you, it did not take a rocket scientist to figure out this was going to be a rough situation for UVA, and then they got off to a bad start. It was just, it was, it was, you could just, you know, one, another one of those things you could kind of see coming with that rivalry game. Tech had to have it 
and and you know you just you knew they'd get it once and once Lynn Kidd started having his way and you're you're, you're beating UVA without Couture and uh, and Padula having big nights from three point range and it's like oh, wow this is not going to go well and it didn't. I feel like if both teams are decent, you can pretty much lock in them to split the series. Pretty much. Right? I mean, UVA handled business against Virginia Tech at home, 65-57. They get rocked at the Castle Coliseum, 75-41. And in that game, I talked about it a lot yesterday, I hated the shot selection from UVA. They were shooting, you know, deep threes, fadeaways at the end of the shot clock, you know, off-balance jumpers, and that's why they weren't scoring any points. And UVA is very comfortable late in the shot clock, but not when you take shots like that. I agree with you 100%. And there is a little bit of a red flag. You know, this team was going so well, and you had, you know, Jake Groves was stepping in, making threes. McNeely was getting hot. Uh, You know, you had Reese Beekman playing really well. Here are a couple of things to, to bear in mind. You, they lost to Pitt. Yep. Pitt played great that night. That snapped the home court win streak. They barely beat Wake Forest and only scored 49 points in that win. They had played good defense, but that was not a great offensive output. And now the the the, the bad loss to Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. So this is three games in a row where the Wahoos have not shall we say, been humming offensively. And so that's something they got to get fixed with the Tar Heels coming to town on well, Saturday. That's the thing is that Tony Bennett's just so good at making adjustments and he will make them watch the film and he will watch the film. And I wouldn't be shocked if they won three straight. And that's North Carolina, Boston College, and Duke. That's just kind of the way things go with UVA. The other thing to watch is if they play great and get a win over North Carolina, watch out for that trip to Boston College. <laughs> I'm just telling you that long trip to Boston up in, in the ACC, Virginia's uh, you know played bad up there before. Watch if, if Virginia can find a way to win that game Saturday, watch out for the trip to Boston College. You know, think about it. The emotion of beating Carolina, looking ahead to a trip to Cameron Indoor Stadium, watch out for that trip to Boston College. That's got banana peel written all over it. On the Hokie side of things, they're facing off against Pitt on the road February 24th. That's going to be a tough battle. And then they're at Syracuse before they return home to face off against Wake March 2nd. But they need to continue with this formula. The recipe for success, how they beat UVA, is more than just Padula and Couture. It's it was get- Poteet. It was Robbie Barron. It was Tyler Nickel dropping dimes. It's got to be that. Uh, and and Lynn Kidd, you know, they you get that inside presence going with Lynn Kidd and these other guys. And then more open threes show up, and it makes you tougher to defend because you got to pick your point. You know, you don't know who you got a key on. Right. Well, that's the big thing with Mike Young's offense is when they have confidence like that, and they all feel like they can score as a team. They can put up seventy-five to ninety points a game. So here's the interesting thing: if you look at the ACC standings, you've got Pitt, NC State, Florida State. All at eight and seven, Clemson at seven and seven, Syracuse at eight and eight, and Virginia Tech at seven and eight. So that means one, two, three, four, five, six teams, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in the league are between eight and seven and seven and eight. How crazy is that? I'll tell you right now, I, I want to make some money. I'm going to open up my FanDuel app. I have a, I have a feeling Clemson's going to win the ACC title. They can beat UNC because they have P.J. Hall who can defend Armando Baycott. They were picked to win the damn conference at the beginning of the year. They've slipped up. I'm rocking with Clemson. And I know I'm pissing our producer off at the moment.
Yeah, I'm not ready to jump on that Clemson Wednesday. And by the way, I'm pretty sure about this that Clemson has never won an ACC tournament. They've never won the ACC championship. So uh, you'd be breaking some news there. Uh, that's for sure. You know, North Carolina is uber talented. They have a kind of a a narrow margin for error, kind of like UVA does. They're not very deep, but the, the starting five is extremely good couple of guys off the bench, so that can get derailed quickly. Duke is a fascinating team to me. I, I actually uh, think John Shire's done a great job with this bunch. And, you know, with McCain and, you know, Filipowski's so good and Mitchell inside, Tyrese Proc, you know, they just got guys that can beat you at every position. To me, this is the dangerous team to watch. And, um, you know, I'm no fan of the Blue Devils, but, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, with Shashevsky, they were so unlikable. John Shire's not unlikable, but I, ha- you know, you, you don't get over the just yet the uh, oh my gosh, you know, yeah, I'm gonna love Duke now because it's John Shire. For some reason, I loved JJ Redick at Duke. Loved Greg Paulus. I always hated John Shire. I don't know what it is. I never liked John Shire. I felt like he leaned into the contact and would get fouls. I thought he was like a cheat code from the three point line at times. I wasn't the biggest Shire fan. You know who I loved, though? Jason Williams. You remember him? I do remember Jason Williams. Jay Will. Jay Will. Jay Will. And he is, uh, you know, he's back involved in the college football, college basketball coverage this year on ESPN. I think he does a good job. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think JJ Reddick does too. A lot I, of people like to hate him. I uh, And he's joining the number one NBA team, right? Yeah. On, on ESPN. Uh, and there's buzz about him leaving that and going into coaching. I know a lot of social media are like, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, he is good. Um, I was I actually got to talk to JJ a little bit last year when he was inducted into the Virginia High School Hall of Fame, mm. and I was the uh, MC. I got a chance to chat with him a little bit at that event, and uh, you know, I think he really enjoys the TV side of it. So, so we'll see. He's very opinionated. His podcast has been very popular, and so we'll see what happens with JJ Reddick. But uh, you know. Uh, John Shire, I find him likable as a coach. Now, I don't, I, you know, yeah. I vaguely remember his player. I still remember Jason Williams when he had his personal 10-0 run against Maryland. Oh, don't to, remind me. <laughs> God. To, Are to, you kidding to, me, Gary? <laughs> you just brought You're back the one my that said you liked my childhood. Him. You're oh the one God. that said you liked him. <laughs> his personal 10-0 run, and then Duke won in overtime. Hey, Juan Dixon got revenge the following year. All yes, right, yes, that. he did. <laughs> yeah, they got the that, the following year. They got the natty. So, yeah. so that was all good. And um, wow, that team. Uh, yeah, you think think back. Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, Steve Blake, Steve Blake, Byron Mouton. Yep, Drew Nicholas. Yep. Wow, what a team. Gary Williams could really And coach. what's cool is Steve Blake, Juan Dixon, and uh, the center, Lonnie Baxter, all right. played for the Wizards during a, a brief time. By the way, Gary Williams was my favorite. Back in the day, I used to cover the AC tournament every year when mm-hmm. Maryland was still in the league and Gary Williams was the coach. He was my favorite. A lot of times our seats would be right behind, would be like one row behind the benches side mm-hmm. or on the baseline, and you could would watch Gary Williams. And when things would go bad on the floor... Gary would turn and yell at the, like the four walk-ons who yeah, never play, right. <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, what did they do?" <laughs> you know, can we go back even further? Do you have any um, Lefty Drizel stories to share? Uh, I do have one. You know, Lefty had the classic stomp. I remember when Lefty came in to JMU, coached at JMU. I remember him at Maryland. I remember covering him when he was at JMU. But my favorite Lefty story, and this is a personal one to me. 
1990, when Terry Holland retired from being from coaching and went into the athletic director business at UVA, I did a series. I worked for State Network, VNN, Virginia News Network then, did a 10-part series about Terry Holland's uh, stint at UVA. Talked to Dean Smith, talked to uh, uh, Jim Valvano, talked to Krzyzewski, or had somebody talk to Krzyzewski for me. Um, interviewed some of his former players. But I also, you know, he played for Lefty at Davidson and coach, you know, and so I wanted to talk to Lefty about about Terry Holland. So I had an appointment at the old convocation center with coach with Coach Drizel. I walk into the convocation center, and as I'm walking in, him and his son Chuck are walking out on their way to lunch. He'd totally forgotten he was supposed to talk to me. <laughs> and he goes, Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Well, we're on our way to lunch. Just come to lunch with us. And so I went and had lunch with Lefty and Chuck Drizel and then talked to Lefty on tape for like 10 minutes, and it was great. And, you know, having, you know, just sitting around the table here and those two guys tell stories, it was, it was pretty fun. Man, that's, so, that's great. Yeah, and so uh, rest in peace. He was, one of the, he was one of the great characters, and he was a great coach, too. He really, really was. And he coached uh, one of the best players I've, I've ever seen in Lenny Bias, who is one of the tragic stories in basketball history. Absolutely. Gary, always appreciate the time. Yeah, you too. That was fun. Yep. You're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Let's drive down Richmond Highway with Gary Hess on AWOD Radio. Stop! I got to get you credit, man. You put me in a good mood with this song. This is one of my favorites. Yeah, you told me to add it. It's a good song. I added, Turn it up for a I second. I added it to my playlist because I like the song now. Right? Yeah. It, just, it makes me feel like I'm playing Madden again. <laughs> I'm drinking, you know, a Dr. Pepper. Oh, dude. And I, a Twinkie. I got 2011 Madden for the Wii. Yeah. Soundtrack unbeatable. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, it reminds me of my childhood. All right, joining us right now, talk a little NFL on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. He's the host of Locked On Bears. It's Lauren Cox. What's going on, Lauren? I was jamming out to the anthem, too. Can we turn that back up? That yeah, awesome. right? You know, why don't we just turn off our microphones and just jam out for the rest of the segment? Uh, but we got a lot to get to here today as, of course, we cover the Washington Commanders. Richmond's home for the Commanders, and they hold the number two overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. They can get pretty much anyone they want, except Chicago has that number one pick. So, Lauren, let's just say that you were the GM of the Chicago Bears. How would you play out the NFL draft? I wouldn't do it too differently than what we're seeing right now from Ryan Poles in Chicago, where, listen, I believe Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in this draft and the guy who gives me the best chance at getting a quarterback that it can be that top-tier, game-changer, dynamic player of like a Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. Everyone says Patrick Mahomes, but that's probably not fair, but that caliber of quarterback. And so I'm fully planning on taking him if I'm the general manager, but at the same time, if a team like Washington wanted to give me a call and offer me something that would just blow my socks off, um, you know, I'll, I'll at least listen. There's no reason for me to say no, no chance. I mean, probably not a high likelihood, but I'll at least listen and ultimately still end up settling on Caleb and being very happy with that decision. Do How do you view Justin Fields? Personally, I think Justin Fields is still a starting caliber NFL quarterback and okay. somebody that can go to another team and have success in his career. Like, I, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, the true top tier elite of the elite quarterbacks, but I think he can be, you know, anywhere from a, you know, in, in the, you know, top 
20 top 15 you know 15 to 20 type range quarterback that you can you can win football games with if you give him a good supporting cast he can do some special things on top of that like it's not just like a a game manager situation where like yeah you give any quarterback good receivers and a good offensive line a good offensive coordinator a lot of guys can win that way but I, I think Justin is a guy who can give you something even a little extra if you're able to give him that supporting cast he just needs a little bit more of that support to truly unlock everything he's capable of doing and I think he'll go somewhere and be successful somewhere else just maybe not Super Bowl, maybe not to the level that I think Caleb Williams could take me. Right, and, and I you know I kind of view Justin Fields as a guy that can be a starter in the NFL. You know, he's just got to have good weapons around the outside, and he's got to have a good defense, and he's got to limit his mistakes and, and keep improving. Uh, but I've been saying on this show that I just I look at it as Chicago has the number one overall pick with Justin Fields. I just think there's zero chance that they run it back with Justin Fields and don't use this number one pick on a quarterback. Do you kind of feel the same way? Yeah, that's that's definitely the perception coming out of Chicago right now. Everything we've heard from the organization behind the scenes is, yeah, full speed ahead that direction. Like, they're still kind of checking their boxes and dotting their I's and crossing their T's on Caleb just to make sure, you know, go to the combine, do the medical checks, do the interviews, just kind of sit down and be 100% sure comfortable that this is the guy that they want to take. But, I mean, the debate, the debate is shifting more from Fields versus Caleb Williams to Caleb Williams versus Drake May versus Jaden Daniels. Like, which rookie quarterback is it going to be? Not so much, is it going to be Fields or a rookie? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I have been Caleb or bust a long, for a long time here with the Commanders. He's a local kid, and I get it. We haven't had success with the local kids in the past. I, I bring up the late uh, Dwayne Haskins and Chase Young as the most recent local guys, but I don't think that's a reason to stay away from Caleb. I've been saying I want the Commanders to do everything and anything to get Caleb but as of late, the more I do research, I am starting to kind of fall in love with Drake May, so I'd be fine with him sitting there at two and falling into our lap. Do you think Chicago you know, changes their mind and maybe says, hey, Drake May is our guy, or maybe we could trade back with a team because we like Drake May or Jaden Daniels? Yeah, I, I don't think it's out of the question. I still think the overwhelming likelihood is that it's going to be Caleb, but you never know what kind of comes up in this process. Certainly, we've, we've sort of seen Caleb is maybe as a different kind of personality than we're typically used to at the top of the draft. And that doesn't mean it, it's worse or that he's not going to be successful as a result of that, but he's maybe not the, you know, this typical, you know, Andrew Luck style of, you know, just hard nose to the grindstone kind of keeps quiet and is, a, you know, the, the quiet kind of leader guy at the front of the organization. Like, he has a personality. And if for some reason, you know, that personality clashes in some ways with the Bears that they just find, like, they just feel like we just can't feel comfortable with it. I mean, it sounds unlikely to me, but they, they're really going to make sure that, okay, are we are we super comfortable with with Caleb Williams, like the person and, and beyond just what we see on the film, but really make sure this is the guy that they want. And, and ultimately, I think they will, but they're also going to do their homework on Drake May and Jane Daniels, just in case any kind of something comes up along this process. Yeah, I mean, what is your thought on Caleb Williams, the guy that paints his nails and cries on the sidelines to his mom? I'm not affected by it, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of callers in the DMV area that hate that. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely an easy it's an easy thing to latch onto if you're looking for a reason to not like Caleb Williams. But I, I come back to always feeling like, listen, 
is it affecting what we're going to get on the field? And we've seen him still play at an extremely high level in, in, in spite of how you might feel about that. And certainly his teammates love him. He's still a great leader. Like, I, I think a couple of things to stand up right away is like, one, players cry on the sidelines a lot, maybe not directly to their mom, but it's not always caught on camera, but a lot of players after the Super Bowl do cry a lot. And I would bet you today, right now, there are NFL players that paint their fingernails and we don't see it and we don't notice it. So no one really knows about it or makes a big deal out of it because it's under their gloves or they don't do it on game day. But I have a feeling Caleb Williams is not going to be the only person that comes to the NFL and does those things. And if he is an elite NFL quarterback, I really don't care what else he does as long as it's, he's not hurting anybody and it's legal. Like He can kind of do whatever he wants in the rest of his life. Lauren Cox with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Follow him on social media at Cox Sports one host of Locked on Bears. Uh, let's go back to this season when Chicago defeated Washington Thursday night football, got their revenge from the previous season. You know, Matt Eberflus coached a heck of a game and outcoached Ron Rivera, and it's Eberflus that still has his job because of that. Yeah, that was like the the beginning of the turnaround. Like at, at that point in the process, it was man, if the Bears lose again to Washington, are, are we talking about a the first in season firing in Chicago Bears franchise history? It's been over a hundred years; they've never done it, and they were zero and four at that point, really needing something desperate to turn themselves around. And a short week against Washington, like this, is not going to be a recipe for success. But somehow, Justin Fields comes out and has one of the best games of his young career and starts to turn around some of the narrative on him and it kind of takes off from there and maybe even more importantly it gives Matt Eberflus an up close and personal look at Montez Sweat and says ah you know maybe we should trade for that guy if he's available at the trade deadline yeah no that's a great point uh did he actually did he finish the season as your sack leader and the commander's sack leader That's right. I, I think he might have been. I don't know if it was the first player in NFL history, but it was one of them. It was historic that he finished as the sack leader for two teams. I think it was the first in NFL history, but don't don't quote me on that. Yep, Lauren. You know, we we've heard that it's going to take a historic haul to move the Bears off of that number one pick. I mean, realistically, if Washington was going to trade with Chicago, what do you think the Bears would want in return? I would love if you guys would say, "Hey, we already have Montez Sweat. How about throw on Jonathan Allen?" Like, I would love to trade one of our veteran pieces in. Instead of just, hey, here's, you know, another future draft pick, another future draft pick. That's the thing. It's probably going to take both. We talk about it being a historic haul. Like, it starts with it starts with the second overall pick and next year's first-round pick and some kind of player. And, and maybe you got to add a little bit more on top of that. Like, it really needs to be a, a kind of, like, unrealistic thing where it's like, for Washington, is this really worth it? Because the, the idea is like, okay, if, if you're pretty sure Caleb Williams is going to be, say not Patrick Holmes, but say Joe Burrow or Josh Allen or whatever, like, how much would it take to trade for Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills right now? Or how much would it take to trade for Joe Burrow from the Cincinnati Bengals right now? Like, it would be as many first- and second-round picks as you could send them, plus some good players on your team. So, like that, if the Bears view Caleb Williams in that light, it's going to be a similar price tag, and it's going to be the kind of thing where, for Washington, at some point, it doesn't even become worth it because there's just still a little bit of a risk that maybe Caleb doesn't become that guy. You just gave up this haul for somebody that cripples your franchise in multiple fronts. Then, Lauren, I want to ask you: Do you have a hot take on Dan Quinn, who is hired as the next head coach of the Commanders? I, I don't know that I have a hot take. I mean, I, I certainly feel like. Washington kind of backed into that and, and seemingly kind of settled when things didn't work out with uh, with the Lions offensive coordinator or the Ravens defensive coordinator, Ben Johnson or Mike McDowell, and it feels like, okay, they looked around and here comes Dan Quinn. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's the worst hire in the world. I think he showed an ability in Dallas to adapt his scheme and not just be the 
Seattle Seahawks cover three single deep safety defense over and over again. Like he, he found ways to adapt. So I, I think you certainly could be worse off. And I think it's, it's an upgrade over Ron Rivera. So that, that gets you somewhere. <laughs> I love that. Anybody taking shots at Ron Rivera, uh, that's a positive in my book. Lauren, thanks so much for the time, man. I appreciate it. Hey, appreciate you. I was worried Ron Rivera would be the Bears defensive coordinator this year, so I'm just glad we dodged that bullet. <laughs> I know. I, I I truly think that Ron was getting interviewed just so people could find out how dysfunctional it was in Washington. Like, he applied and got interviewed for the Eagles defense coordinator position and Dallas defense coordinator position. I don't think they had in, any interest in actually hiring him. They just wanted to kind of read read what went wrong in Washington. <laughs> Get a, get a good laugh out of it along the way, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Lauren, thanks so much, man. We appreciate it. Hey, anytime. Thank you. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. Stubb, what did you think we learned from that? It kind of – it feels like that he really wants Caleb Williams. Yeah, and <laughs> and, 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 and it's it seems – it just seems like they do. Like yeah. the 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 people of Chicago, uh, and and I, I mean, I, we talked about it. It just would be crazy to consider yourself a Bears fan and say, "Run it back with Justin Fields." But I know a you guy. I know a guy like pick. that. Yeah, I know well, a guy like that. You know what? I know crazy Commanders fans too. <laughs> One of them's a host here on Nine Ten The Fan, and he goes by AWOD. We appreciate everybody listening to the show. One segment to go. It's game day coming up next on the Fan. Welcome back to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. If you've been paying attention, we've been closing out the show with a new segment, Game Day on The Fan. Every day on AWOD Radio is game day. Home of the biggest sports fans in town at 910 The Fan. There's always something to watch. We will spotlight the best sporting event of the day here on Game Day. Yeah, right back and I'm here. I got the whole team in here now. It's feeling like game day and it's game day. We are the underdogs of the year. We ranking number one on the list. We put in overtime, so we ready for overtime if the clock ever hits. Gang day. Gang day. Gang day. All right, so I am fired up for the JMU game tonight at Marshall. If you missed it, you can rewind back to 2 p.m. to hear our interview with voice of the James Madison Dukes, Dave Riggert. They're trying to win seven games in a row and Ooh. have a chance to be the Sun Belt Conference champions in the regular season. And if they can't get that done because App State has a full game lead on them, well, as long as they're in the top four, they've got a shot to win the Sun Belt tournament and advance to this year's NCAA tournament. But the game that I'm looking forward to today on game day is actually soccer. It's the return of the Champions League. I think it's the best sporting event in all of sports. You have the greatest athletes from all of Europe competing on different squads against each other. We are down to the round of 16. So today, following the show at 3 p.m., I'll be watching Napoli against Barcelona in the first leg of the round of 16 knockout round of the Champions League. And this is a really good Napoli squad who I think could cause some damage and possibly even upset Barcelona tonight. I have my eye on Victor Oshiman, who's 25 years old out of Nigeria. There's a chance he gets swooped up by one of the big clubs in England uh, next offseason, possibly Manchester City, Arsenal, or Chelsea. Uh, but he's the guy to watch out for. He bangs in goals left and right for Napoli. 
Barcelona, they've got so much talent on their team. Obviously, most people know striker Robert Lewandowski, who spent most of his career with Bayern Munich. Pedri, Pedri is one of their youngsters. Uh, Gundogan is one of the best midfielders in all of soccer. And then Nigel De, Nigel De Jong. So this is a really good matchup. This is the first leg. It's going to be two different games. They'll replay it next week in its aggregate. So goals in both games matter as this is the knockout round of the Champions League. We're down to the final 16. You also have a good one, Porto against Arsenal. So there's two good Champions League games today. There were two good ones yesterday. That's my pick of sporting event of the day here on Game Day. Game Day. I also thought about taking that JMU basketball game. I'm excited for them. I mean, I didn't even realize it was going to be a franchise record for them to get that win. And I still am, in a way, staying with the Dukes, as I'm excited for the Virginia Tech Hokies to take on the JMU Dukes in baseball. Oh. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't even know baseball season began. Baseball in season race. began. Yeah, this is the fourth game for the Hokies. They just came off of a, a three set against Charlotte. Uh, one, two out of three. There you go. And now they're taking on the Dukes just for one. They're, they're not doing many. They're out there in Harrisonburg, also at three. Uh, I won't be able to leave and watch that game, unfortunately. But I'll, I'll try to catch some of it, catch some highlights. Maybe I'll get it up in here, see if I can check on it. Uh, hoping the Tech Hokies are, are playing like they did in 2022. Won the division back then. Did not win last year. Yeah. I went out, there for, went out there live for a couple of games while I was still there. Great place to be. I love the stadium they have out in Blacksburg. Uh, let's see. They're two and one. They just they did some pretty good games against Charlotte. Scored ten in the first two, beat them. Lost ten to five in the third one. They're on a two winning streak against the JMU Dukes in ba- baseball, but the overall record that JMU has against them is better. It's a tough rivalry between Tech and JMU, and like Dave was saying, they're just JMU's just winning everything this year. Yeah, it's, right. it's incredible. I I, <laughs> I can't believe it. Um, to look out for uh, Carson DiMartini, ten home runs last season. I saw on their Instagram he was third in the twenty twenty four D one baseball preseason player rankings. Oh, wow. Yeah, they have... So they've got themselves a star. Yeah, they've got they've got six players in the top 100, uh, according to that post. And Chris Ca- Canizaro uh, got two home runs in one game against Charlotte uh, in their go. second game. And uh, Carson DiMartini got one in their first game. So, so they got a couple hot bats here, yeah. and they'll face off against the JMU Dukes. As Stubbs got his eye on baseball season. I do. I, I've been excited for baseball. I love it's it's I, it's my favorite thing to watch live. I know you were talking about being an Orioles fan. Uh, yeah. Have you fully committed? I have fully committed. I've okay. decided I'm going to be an Orioles fan. I know they're starting their preseason on Sunday, yeah. as everyone kind of is this weekend. So I'm excited for that to get started. And, yeah. and Lane Casadante couldn't join us this week because he was just getting back from spring training with the Flying Squirrels uh, whose season is just a few weeks. So, Well, it's about a month and a half away, but uh, Nutsy's block party coming up March 2nd. I'm so looking forward to that. You just have to experience it. Uh, You know, I knew that the Squirrels meant a lot to Richmond, but it's just eye-opening to see that many people come to not a game, but just to buy tickets <laughs> to a future game at Nutsy's Block Party. They've got uh, a bunch of food vendors there. It's a great hangout in the parking lot of the Diamond that hopefully by this time next year will be <laughs> dirt because yeah, dirt. they'll have shovels in the dirt <laughs> to build a new stadium. Hopefully. I mean, I oh really hope. I really do hope. I'm hoping Natasha's there. I love Natasha. No, that's my girl. No, no, no. I, stay away. You can have Nutsy. Natasha's my girl. No, I, I called dibs on her last year. All right. I wasn't here. I'm sorry about I that. I wasn't here. I'm calling dibs. I actually took her I, out on a date already. You I'm have? Sorry. <sighs> yeah, that's my flying squirrel. I, I don't that's, stand a chance. All right? You got nothing. You got Dang nothing. It. 
keep I know, trying. I know VCU baseball kicked off their season. I, I know they had a game in the Diamond last night, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I, the, the stadium was not full. <laughs> I, I've never heard anyone talk about VCU baseball. Didn't know they had a team, but good for so, them. <laughs> last year at VCU baseball, so VCU hosted the A-10 tournament at okay. the Diamond. They didn't make it because only the top eight schools <laughs> oh. made it, and they were ninth. Yeah, to be the host school and not make it. Uh, pretty embarrassing. Diamond's but, a good stadium, though. Yeah, I mean, but VCU baseball has had some decent teams. When I was in school, we had this guy by the name of Vimiel Machine. Ooh. He was a machine at the plate. Yeah? Went on to the major <laughs> leagues, but I just thought that was always the coolest name in sports. That was game day here on AWOD Radio. Appreciate everybody listening to the show. You can always tweet us your thoughts at AWOD Radio or at 910thefan. Thanks to Gary Hess, Dave Riggert, and Dave Johnson, who stopped by. If you missed anything, you can always rewind on the Odyssey app or check out the podcast, Best of AWOD Radio, each hour of the show, and a full Best of Hours available for you on your ride home. I'll see you guys tomorrow, Thursday, on The Fan. Game day.